Good morning. We are continuing our series in the book of Exodus. As you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of his authority over us. Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Craig. I'm one of the elders here. I'm grateful to be able to open God's word again with you this morning, continuing the Exodus series. Um, We're studying in Exodus. Just to remind you kind of the big overview of what Exodus is about, Exodus is about is the God who makes himself known. So I'm praying that 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 happens during our time here together this morning. Um, If you are new, um, we're glad you're here. And I'm also sorry that there aren't enough chairs. So we'll put out more chairs next week. There's actually a stack of them over there. They were just being used for Sunday school, which got started this week. First ever here at Christ Community Old Testament survey. We had a membership class this morning too. Um, It's a good start. If you guys get a chance to make it, we'd love to see you there. Starts at 845 on Sunday mornings. Now we're turning our attention to the second part of Exodus chapter 1. But I wanted to start by uh, talking about a particular emotion that's powerful. You guys know it well. It is fear. Fear. You probably heard it in the, in the passage this morning. That's perhaps, I heard some people say it's perhaps the most powerful human emotion. Um, and the way, I was thinking about this, the way we interact with, personally, the, the feeling of fear in our own lives is, is interesting, right? Like, there's, there's the fear that we get of, like, heights, uh, the fear of something bad happening to us. But there's also the kind of fear where, like, we like it, you know? Some of us like scary movies. I don't know who you are, but some of you all do. I used to. Uh, we like to be scared, right? Like, from a young age, that's true of us. Kids kind of instinctively know that to hide behind a wall and jump out and go, boo. That's something, it's exciting. There's something about it, about scaring somebody. I, I used to love to scare people. I was a naughty kid. I, uh, I'll just say this. I, I, I liked to prey on my babysitters and ketchup looks a lot like blood. So we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to put thoughts in kids' minds other than that one. So we'll just leave it there. But there's something about it, about fear. It's weird, right? Because we, we simultaneously kind of like are curious about it. We want to embrace it. And there's also a part of it that we just despise. It's, it can overtake us emotionally the bible no surprise talks about fear often it's probably worth doing a survey at some point in your life looking at the way the bible describes fear there's good types and there's bad types and they're not all created equal um the today we're going to look at uh what fear did 
what, it led one man to do one thing, and that's one kind of fear that led one man to do one thing. And there's another type of fear that we see in this passage that led two women to do something different. One led to anxiety and death, and one led to blessing and life. And no matter, you, you know, Paul did a good job of welcoming us, welcoming us in this morning. No matter what you're coming from this week, you know, some of us walk in here high, you know, like feeling really great. Some of us walk in really low. Some of us walk in here really anxious. Some of us will feel, walk in feeling peaceful. It doesn't really matter how you walk in, but what Exodus, what the book of Exodus, what God is doing through the book of Exodus in our lives is this. He wants us, he wants you to know him, to know him more, to draw near to him, to live in light of his presence, that he's really here. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the fear of God is the foundation of a life of blessing. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Fear of God. Understand it a little bit more. Think about what it means for us. But we need to ask the Lord to work. We need his help. Um, this needs to be applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would cause a holy fear of you to fall upon us all. That you would quiet our hearts and our minds in this moment and hear from you by the power of the Holy Spirit through your word. We're so thankful for the Lord Jesus that he gave his life for us so that we don't have to be afraid, but that we can live in the fear of you. Help us to understand these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope that when you walk out of here this morning that you're resolved in the power of the Holy Spirit to fear God. Um, That's my goal, really, for this morning, is that you would fear God and respond to that. That's what we see happening in this passage. And we're going to, to get to that point, we would need to understand the story here from Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Um, I do believe there are scripture journals over there now. Um, Jordan, I don't see you. You can give me a thumbs up, somebody. There should be, we got a thumbs up. Cool. Scripture journals are over there. Those are the, the journals I talked about last week. Got the Bible on the one page, got the journal page on the other page. It's great when we're going through these series. We're going to keep going right through the book of Exodus. You can take notes as we go, scribble it up. Um, Here in Exodus 1, we want to understand the story. Remember, as we look at Exodus, this is incredibly relevant for you. Every single page, every single word, because our story is connected to this story. You're going to see it again today. So let's understand what happened. Exodus chapter 1, um, just getting a little bit of context here. God had brought his people to Egypt, right? We talked about this last week. And blessed them. And though their forefathers died... God's promises have lived on. That's what we talked about last week through the multiplication. They've multiplied greatly. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, hated this. There were too many of them. He couldn't control them. He needed to stop them from multiplying so quickly. And so if you're tracking with this, um, it means that he needs to stop. If he's trying to stop them from multiplying, he's trying to stop God's blessing. Okay? He's waging war with God. So, First, Pharaoh tried to enslave the Israelites. He made their work really bitter, hard. Um, Again, trying to keep their numbers down, keep the population down. And the harder the pressure Pharaoh put on Israel, the stronger God's blessing became. They proved that God's promise was alive. They continued to multiply. His promises are alive. And then in verse 15, where we're coming to today, we read about his next evil tactic, his strategy for keeping those numbers down. 
Here's the plan. When babies are born, if it's a boy, kill them. Question. Why boys? I think we can, we can get into side, inside of Pharaoh's mind pretty easily here. If you look at verse 10, and you skip back just a little bit, Pharaoh said this, Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Boys could fight the wars, and he wanted to win those wars before they ever even needed to fight them, just by killing them off. So, what does Pharaoh do? He calls in these midwives, Shifra and Pua. Two names to remember, truly. It's worth noting, we have recorded for all time the names of these two brave women who lived in the fear of God. And Pharaoh, the rich, mighty, powerful king of that time, no name. Pharaoh calls them in, tells them to kill the boys. Now, if you think about the sheer number of babies that are being born in Israel at that time, we're talking like up to a million people by that time. There's no way that these two women, let me just think about the logistics of that. It gets out of hand, right? These two women, they would be up all day and all night just delivering babies. Um, they would have never slept. So probably what these two women were, were in charge of uh, the midwives of Israel um, who would then in turn help the Hebrew women have the babies. So the midwives, these women, they do not listen. Verse 17, it's a key verse for this morning. Should be up here on the, board, on the board. Yep. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Okay, so we're, kind of, we're going to come back to that, but that's really the key verse from this passage for this morning. That decision that Shifra and Pua made catches up to them. Pharaoh calls them back in. He said, why did you let the boys live? And here's what they say. It's also going to be up here on the board. I want to quote it, and you'll see why in a second. Here's what they said. Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Okay, so that particular phrase, that sentence that the Hebrew midwives spoke to Pharaoh, it's, it's a little bit tricky for the Bible translators. It can mean a couple of things. It can mean that the women are stronger, like they're more fit. Pharaoh's probably used to a, like a ruling class of more sedentary women, and they're trying to say, hey, our women work harder, they're stronger, they have the baby before I even get there. That's one way it could mean, one way it could be taken. The other one is that uh, they could be, it could be taken as the women are wilder. Like they're, they're just having babies all the time. It's, it's like rabbits. I know this is really awkward to talk about. But it's, it's one way that you can interpret it. You, it's, like, it's like you're having the baby in the car on the way to the hospital or something like that, you know? They're just, we, by the time we get there, it's too late. And that's the point, right? Shifra and Pua are saying, look, there are Egyptian women and then there are Israelite women. They're different. They're built different. By the time we get there, it's too late. That's what they're saying. Now, the significant question that this begs is this. It's not about the women. It's about what they said. Is it a lie? Did they lie? I think the answer is yes. I think they did lie. Which is really interesting because of what unfolds in this passage, right? Because God in the end blesses them for what they do. And that begs, begs an even bigger question. 
Is it ever okay to lie? These women chose to lie to save these babies. So does that make it okay? Well, let's just step back for a second. Let's just talk real briefly. Is it, it, why is lying wrong? We all know that lying is wrong. We know that the Bible teaches this. But why is it so wrong? Basically, fundamentally, it's because it's contrary to the nature of God. That is what sin is. It's anything that's contrary to the nature of God. And, and when you think about it, the fact that lying is contrary to the nature of God is so reassuring, right? God does not trick us. He does not play games with us. What he says is true. What you read in his word, you can take it to the bank. You can count on it every single time. He is always true. We're going to look more specifically about that idea of lying and not lying when we get to chapter 20, 10 commandments. The ninth commandment is you shall not bear false, false witness against your neighbor. That's specifically talking about the sin of lying. So just, just starting with the, with the foundation, lying is a sin. It is wrong. But what about this, this particular circumstance? Let me help, let me help make it a little bit more practical for you. Um, what if during World War II you happened to live in a Nazi-occupied area and you were hiding Jews in your home? And a Nazi soldier came into your home and said, are you hiding Jews here? And you knew that if you said, yes, I'm hiding Jews behind that fake wall over there that I built, uh, they are dead and you are dead. Would you lie? Theologians looked at a lot of different ones this week. They distinguish between three categories of lying. The first two you probably would kind of immediately jump to. Um, first one, for sure. The first, is a, the first category of lying is an obvious one. It's called the malicious lie. Okay? Your, your lying serves um, you, your aims, um, or you're trying to harm somebody else. So, like, for example, you ask your child, son, did you go to the party last night? And your child responds, no, I did not go to the party, but he definitely did go to the party, knowing because he said no, trying to protect himself because he did something he should not have done. That is always wrong. It's a malicious lie. He's looking out for himself. He disobeyed his parents. That is a malicious lie. Always wrong. Second category of lying, and you'll recognize it once I say it, it's the joking lie. This one's a bit contextual. Um, For example... Uh, When I turned 40, uh, there were a group of people in this room, you know who you are, who told me to go over to the Kellenberger's house, um, and they didn't tell me why. Uh, They just said, you know, just come over there. But what had been planned was a birthday party, a surprise birthday party for me. And so when I walked in, uh, they all jumped out and said surprise, and it was a lot of fun. And they are all a bunch of liars. Just kidding. We know that that's not, it's different, right? It's in a different category um, they didn't exactly tell me the truth, but I think that we can recognize that it's not, not a sin, even though it's misleading. Of course, that joking lie can become a sin. In Proverbs 26, it says this, like a, mad, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Straight out of Proverbs 30, uh, 26. And we know people like that who say really mean or horrible things and then say, I am just, I'm just joking. That's not joking. Or they deceive you and they say, oh, I'm just joking. That's not deceiving. 
That's not a joke. That is deceiving. The joking lie is the second category. The third lie, though, is the one that we're really aiming towards. The lie of necessity. It's the trickiest. The Hebrew midwives felt it was necessary to lie in order to save babies. John Calvin, ancient theologian, says that lying, no matter what, is sin and wrong. He argues, that, he argues that all lying, no matter what it is, is sin. It's contrary to the nature of God. We've already talked about that. And therefore, it is not a holy action. He says that the women, what they should have done is they should have gone to Pharaoh the first time and they should have said something like, we will not kill those babies because your decree is evil and we fear God. They should have said that from the jump. And they didn't. So they sinned. Well, the, the rebuttal to Calvin is, what about the fact that God blesses them? He praises them for doing this, essentially by blessing them with a home. And Calvin's response is, well, it just shows how merciful God is. He's very lavish in his grace. He loves people who desire to praise him and who fear him. And it's a compelling argument. I mean, sin is sin. And if if Calvin is right, it does show how gracious God is toward us, right? If, If we seek to obey him like Shifra and Pua. If we obey him, if we are willing to take those steps of faith, there's going to be times where we make mistakes, where we sin in the process of following him. And that's emboldening to me. That like he's not going to be like, well, you did do that good thing, but actually uh, you didn't do it exactly right, so wrong. That's not what God does here. He blesses our steps of faith and our trust in him. That's just one side of the argument, though. Here's the other side of the argument. At least one other side. There are other sides, but these are the two main ones. The other side of the argument says, when it comes to situations like these, we have what we call a prioritization of duties. There's like an order of duties, of responsibilities here. In this and in other situations like this, the highest duty, the highest responsibility would be to preserve human life. And then the secondary one would be honesty. For example, another biblical example. Rahab, in the book of Joshua, um, the spies come to spy out the city of Jericho, and Rahab conceals the spies and actually lies to the pursuers in order to conceal them. And she's praised for that. She's blessed for that. Her life is spared. And to that point, um, a seminary professor of mine, I was taking a class on biblical ethics, and he pointed out that um, our Christian moral intuitions tell us like our sanctified intuitions, the the work of the Spirit inside of us, when we hear about someone doing something like saving Jews during World War II, our moral intuition is not to be like, oh man, how dare they lie like that. Our moral intuition is like, our response to that is, wow, they did the right thing. You can think of Corey Ten Boom, if many of you know her story and her family. They helped countless Jews escape during World War II. And we don't look at her and think, wow, she really blew it. We think, wow, she was really used by God. Rahab, the Tin Boom family, these women, they're praised by God for what they did. And we see, here's really the thing that really convinces me about which side I end up on. In this text, we see nothing to condemn them for what they did. I, I personally fall on this side, that they have prioritized the various responsibilities and duties that they have and it is wrong to lie, but in this circumstance, they did do the right thing. It is not a license to lie, 
I don't want any of you out there scheming ways to rightly align your priorities so you can continue to lie. The deception that they did, though, isn't even the main point. It was the motivation behind what they did. And this is the charge to us today. Not to try to parse out how you're telling the truth, but to live in the fear of God and respond accordingly. That is what drove them to say what they said and do what they did. And that is what I really want to urge us to consider most closely today. Pharaoh and his leaders are also motivated by fear. A fear of man. Shifra and Pua are motivated by the fear of God. So what does it mean to fear God? Let's just answer that question first. We're going to stay in Exodus. I wanted to try to answer what it means to fear God from just inside the book of Exodus. Exodus 18, verse 21. Jethro... Moses' father-in-law tells him, you need to get some help. You're overworked. And he says this, you need to get help from men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. So we're picking up some clues on what it means to fear God. Later on in Exodus 20, verse 18, Moses says this to the people, and this is a very interesting verse. Pay attention. Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin don't fear fear what does he mean fearing god is very different than being afraid of god fearing god means that you're living according to his standards that's what those men that jethro told moses to go find were doing a life of honesty and integrity in other words you are who you are all the time Not just when other people are around, but when no one is around. You are the same woman. You are the same man. I'll put it more simply. Those who fear God live like God really exists. They inhabit a world where God is really present all the time. You don't go get on that website because God is right there with you. You do step forward to help the little guy out because God is right there with you. That's living in the fear of God. There's a real-time awareness of his presence, his power, his purposes, his commands. And that's why the cross of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ is so essential. If, If we do not have Jesus... We should be afraid of God. He will punish sin. But if you do have Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that what he has done for you on the cross has taken away the punishment that was meant for you, the punishment that you ought to be afraid of, you do not need to be afraid ever, ever. Rather, Jesus Through what he's done on the cross for you, he's opened the door for you to live in his presence moment by moment. What kind of presence? The presence of love, the presence of God where you flourish, fully flourish as a human being. And one day you will live in the fullness of his presence forever. So in our passage, what we see is fearing God versus fearing man. It's a contrast. Pharaoh is fearing man and these women are fearing God. Many of us, myself included, are absolutely gripped by the fear of man. 
There was an article making the rounds this week on Twitter. It was about a pastor up in Arlington Heights, Illinois, who had resigned from his position as a pastor, saying that he just couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take it coming into church Sunday after Sunday uh, and facing his hundreds of bosses, referring to the fact that he had to please everybody who was out in the congregation. Now, I love you guys. I really do. I pray for you. I value your thoughts and your opinions. But I have one boss. The Lord God Almighty. That is who I answer to. That is who I will give account to for your souls one day as your elder. It's to God himself. And I, please, I aim to please him and to serve him. Yes, by serving you. You also. You have one boss. You will answer to that one king when your life is finished. And the decisions you make today will impact the way you face him that one day. It's him. It's his approval that you must receive. What you need to remember is that he stands ready to receive you. Ready to give you that approval. It's ironic that Pharaoh is king. This is, this is what is being set up here. Pharaoh is king. He has all authority and all power. And yet he is the one who is enslaved. He's enslaved to the fear of man. The fear of man is slavery. You can never satisfy your master. Never. It's a horrible master. I say it so forcefully because I hate that master. I have served that master for too long. It's a form of slavery. But brothers and sisters, many of us know the approval and the love of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That is no longer slavery. That is freedom. That is the master we want. But nevertheless, we do not believe it. We live like we're still enslaved by our former master. We don't grab hold of the new identity that we have in Christ. So here's my exhortation to you. Believe it. Believe that he is your master today. Serve him. He is your boss. You will answer to no other. Believe what he says. He does not lie. I actually have a document written right here on my iPad. I'm going to it every Thursday. And what I do is I write down here lies that I commonly believe about myself or about the world. And then right underneath that I write down God's truth. What does God's word say? in response to that lie that I so easily believe. And then I make a declaration of faith. This is what's true about that or about me. I review it every Thursday. I have to. I'm so prone to give in to the fear of man. I'm so prone to believing things that aren't true. I have to carve new neural pathways, new ways of thinking. I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I need God's word to come into my heart. So what about you? Do you fear God? Do you live a life of integrity? Acting the same way in public and private? Do you, or do you fear man? Are you seeking to please man around you? Do you live in his presence? How will you remind yourself that you live in the presence of God, even this week? Look at the impact of living with the fear of God in the lives of the midwives. Think about this. Think about those midwives. What, it, what was going on there? And this is where we're going this morning. You and me. Fearing God motivated them to do some very significant things. 
Think about the implications of the decision that they just made. Pharaoh gets angry, and they could lose their jobs. Pharaoh gets angry, and then he fires them, and then financially they're ruined. Not only them, but their whole family. Pharaoh gets angry, and he doesn't just take it out on them. He's going to take it out on all the people. He's going to oppress the people even more, which is exactly what happens. Pharaoh gets angry, and they will never see their families again. Could be, could be. These are all possibilities of what could happen if they make this decision. So much was at stake. And so, what do you do when the pressure is high like that? What do we do? do? Well, they could have rationalized it, right? They could have said something like, you know what? It's important to put the food on the table for my family. It's important to be a witness to the people that I encounter at the Egyptian hospitals. And if I lose my job, then I'm I'm not going to have those opportunities. I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. They could have minimized it, minimized what they were doing. They could have said, I mean, you know what? So many kids these days, they die at birth anyway. And you know what? Life is just so bitter. It's so hard. Why would, I, why would I, we even want to bring kids into this world anyway? Minimize. It's not that big of a deal. Just minimize it. They could have justified it. They could have said, look, if we kill a few kids, I know it's not something we want to do, but if we kill a few kids, then potentially think of how many more could live. You know, the government, it'll get, maybe we'll get the government off our people's backs. This was a very costly decision they were making. But their fear of God drove them to do something bold, brave, very much like God himself. They stood up for the life of the vulnerable, the voiceless, the weak. They rescued babies. It's very much like God. And I want to talk a few minutes about this. I want to talk a few moments about this issue of rescuing babies. The Bible is very clear about how God feels about life, early life. God gives life. Job 12 says this, In God's hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God not only gives life, God cherishes life. He's the upholder of life, according to Psalm 54. He's the redeemer of life, according to Psalm 72. He's the keeper of life, according to Psalm 121. God values above all else in his creation, human life. Psalm 8, we sung it this morning. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. God values above all else in his creation, human life, and God condemns intentionally killing innocent human lives. He says it negatively like this, you shall not murder And he says it positively like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But what about, I think maybe you guys understand where I'm heading right now. What about life in the womb? Life before you're born. Does the Bible consider that a child, a life? The answer is a very clear yes. The Bible is clear that at conception, there is a child in the womb of a mother. 
One of the best examples of this comes to us from the New Testament. It's Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they have an encounter. You're going to see this up here on your screen. This is Luke 1, verses 41, 42, and then skipping over to verse 45. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. My friend John Inzer calls this a womb-to-womb worship service. Jesus, at that time, in Mary's womb, would have been a zygote few hours old, or possibly an embryo, maybe a week old, based on the accounts of the gospel. Science backs this reality that life begins in the womb. It backs it up. You can watch incredible video of humans from the earliest stages of development in their mother's womb. We are, as the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Pharaoh wanted to destroy image bearers of God. This was murder. To intentionally kill someone who did nothing to deserve it is murder. God forbids it. This issue of murdering babies is obviously not just an ancient Near Eastern issue. It is an issue today. We call it infanticide and abortion. And this issue, even in saying that, I know is extremely tender for all of us painful for many of us all for different reasons it's not just merely some sort of a political issue this is about life about God's glory and about his creation of these children and this is also not just a USA issue it's global Mexico this week legalized abortion Cuba has more abortions per capita than anywhere else on the planet And uh, to be honest, this issue was never really on my radar until I moved to China and I lived there for a decade. Many of you know about China's one-child policy. They put it in place in 1979 in order to reduce the population. And one of the major ways that that they maintained that policy, that one-child-per-family policy, was through abortion. When I started to learn Chinese, learn the Chinese language, it was really exciting because I could start to read, right? Um, so I would, I would actually know what I was ordering from the menu. Uh, that was a nice change. But I could also start to read signs and other things. It was really exciting at first, but then to my shock, one of the things that overwhelmed me was that the most common advertisement that I would see and read was the advertisement for the easy, pain-free, cheap abortion. I spent so much time with men and women, families, who had been impacted by abortion. Too many stories and so much pain. And I know that it is true for people in this room too. I know that. And I just want to say I'm sorry. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us each to something We have to take stock of our heart. Will you fear God and not fill in the blank? For the Egyptian midwives, 
It was fear God and not kill those babies. No matter what comes my way, I will not fear man more than I fear God. So what is it for you? What is it for you? Will you fear God and not get on that website? Will you fear God and not leave your spouse? Will you fear God and not reject the authority of your parents? Will you fear God and not get drunk this weekend? Will you fear God and respond differently to your kids this week? Will you fear God and not get that abortion? Or fear God and not help your girlfriend get that abortion? I am pleading with you to fear God. Look at the example of the midwives. They feared God. They stepped forward in faith. They trusted him and he provided. They didn't know how he was going to do that. They didn't know if he was going to do that. But he did. When I was in China, one of my teammates' fathers decided to come and visit. And on a whim, he, he, was a, he worked here in the United States with pregnancy help centers. These are centers for women who have crisis pregnancies. They don't know what to do. They come and seek help from him, and he would help them with their situations. He helped set up a number of pregnancy help centers down in Miami, Miami, Florida. And he came to visit his daughter who was on our team. And on a whim, we set him up with an opportunity to talk to a small gathering, a small Christian gathering at a house church. I went with him. I was just acting as a translator. He was going to share what the Bible had to say about life and about abortion and, and about hope. And what happened was, as he began to speak, people began to fall apart in the room. They began to weep over their sin, over what the loss that they had experienced And as we began to preach the gospel to them, people's lives were transformed. In one case, that week, um, the group of people that were gathered there went and found a woman who was planning to have an abortion. They brought her in. They preached the gospel to her. She was saved. She trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. She decided to keep the baby. The baby was born. Her whole family saw this beautiful, healthy baby. And as a testament to God's goodness to them, their whole family trusted in the Lord. That man went back resigned from his position down in Miami and launched an entire ministry focused on the country of China where they have trained literally hundreds of thousands of people in the gospel of life, that God loves life. And if there is the shedding of this innocent blood, do you know how it's remedied? Through the shed innocent blood of the Son of God where redemption happens and new life begins. This is what happens when people fear God and step forward in faith, trusting him to move, because he does. So let's flip this. Not what you won't do, but what will you do? What will you do? How will you respond? Will you feel God, fear God and stand up for the unborn? Will you fear God and step out in faith at work? Will you fear God and seize these four years that God gives you at this university for his glory? Will you fear God and share the gospel with your neighbor? Will you fear God and persevere as a parent, an employee, whatever God has called you to? You will see your God move and bless. One more important thought. We're almost done. Thank you for tracking with me. What if you you did not fear God? 
and you did something horrible. I'm being specific now. What if you, what if you killed your own child? Or if you stood by while your child was killed? Or you helped someone do it? Or, you know. I take you back to the shedding of innocent blood. That innocent blood was shed, but there was one who, was, who came for you, who was totally innocent, never sinned, and his blood was shed. That innocent blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, was shed for you. He whom we fear stands ready to forgive and wash clean and make new and redeem whatever is in your past. Allow your fear of him to cause you to run to him. There's so much hope. Just real practically, Nate shared at the beginning, before we even got started, there's retreat for folks like you. We care about you. That's for you. I hope you'll sign up for that. How can that be? How can this all be? Well, we don't need to be afraid when we have the cross of Jesus Christ because he took away our sin and our shame. He loves us so much. And therefore, we fear him. We love him and we follow him. So, will you fear God? Let's pray. Lord, cause this holy fear of you to fall upon us all. Glorify yourself through the Lord Jesus today, who is our Savior. Lord, I do pray that the fear of you would cause us, even this week, to make choices and to take steps that change the course of our lives and even history. In Jesus' name, amen.